Hey, thank you again for making the time to uh, join in and listen in. I believe we can learn a lot from people's stories as we all relate to being created by one that has a purpose and a plan for us. Know that you belong. Know that you are a part of something larger. And uh, put your faith in Jesus, the one that truly cares about you. Uh, most of you know that I love sports, uh, namely basketball. But whenever uh, God can use a piece of leather filled with air, even better and one with a great story is uh, Roger, Roger Lape. Roger, how are you? Doing very well. Thank you, Jeff. Roger, could you pronounce your last name for me? I should have asked you before I began this interview. You got it right. It's Lipe. Okay. Well, good, good. And you're you're joining from uh, Southern Illinois. You are the chaplain at Saluki. Uh, Could you just talk about how long have you been in this position? I've been serving teams here at the university for 27 years. I absolutely love it here at Southern Illinois University. Wow. And uh, what I said in the intro, I've always loved sports. I went to a Christian basketball mm-hmm. camp. They brought in a speaker, Anthony Eubanks, way back when. I know Basketball Anthony. player. And he said, if God can use a piece of leather filled with air, then I want to be used of God in that capacity. I want to be the hardest worker and make sure that piece of leather filled with air truly is a platform that I can uh, focus people on Jesus. For you, how old were you when you realized that sports could be a conduit to lead people to the truth and love of Jesus? Yeah, that goes back a long, long way with me, because from the time I could stand up, I think I loved playing sport. I loved playing baseball. grew up that way, committed my life to Christ when I was 10, but just played sport for fun, and I loved it and loved to compete. And Then at age 16, though, I was in the middle of, I mean, I'm a high school jock in Southern Illinois, but suddenly we're caught up in the throes of the Jesus movement or the early 70s. And so I'm at this event in uh, Dallas, Texas called Explo 72, which had hundreds of thousands of young people from all over the country and around the world descending upon that place. And I'm watching, I mean, I'm from a small town in Southern Illinois and I'm looking And I'm going, there are hippies here giving up heroin for Jesus. There is something big going on here. And so at the same time, I'm watching guys from Athletes in Action. I'm seeing the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in their growing uh, era. And I'm going, these guys are stud athletes and they love God. That's who I want to be is that sort of thing. And so at about age 16, suddenly those worlds converged in a great way to where I could love God and love sport at the same time and not have one compromise the other. It was brilliant. And so I loved that process. And then more and more grew in that as I continued to compete in sport, uh, even though I was working in a job. But then it really came uh, to fullest fruition when I began working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes Hmm. as part of my job in 1994. And so I was so thrilled to be able to marry those two great passions of my life and uh, have that be um, my real calling. Yeah. And here in Vermont, we have Glenn Olson and uh, Melissa Crossman. They're doing a wonderful job uh, as far as Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And right now they're primarily in Southern Central Vermont and trying to Mm -hmm. go statewide. And we're trying to help them as much as possible. Before we talk more about Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, nationsofcoaches.com, mm-hmm. what what type of family did you grow up in? Was there an expectation that you would go to church or that you would play sports? Did you, did you ever feel like you had to prove yourself with the other siblings or the mm-hmm. expectations of your parents? No, my, my parents, blue-collar family, We've my family's been in Southern Illinois since the 1700s, so we're very much from here. 
but very blue collar kind of family. I had two younger brothers. Um, so we grew up terribly competitive, both at the dinner table and out in the sport playing baseball, whatever we were doing, we were just competitive kind of thing, but really no drive or uh set of expectations about performance or anything that for my parents, they were more interested in our uh, work in the classroom. Do, are you going to do a yeah. good job? You're going to be good, get good grades. They took us to church our whole lives. And so very grew up in that um, very much so. But then at age 10, that's when I committed my life to Christ. It was because I was at vacation Bible school. I'm the eldest of three brothers. We often do things just because it's the right thing to do. And that was about as simple as it was for me at age 10. Uh, but then growing up, you know, I'm a competitive guy. And so grew up playing sport and really found wrestling because I got cut from the basketball team. And so, but I still think like a wrestler that really, that sport really shaped my approach to almost everything. So what type of athlete do you think Jesus would have been? I would say just looking at, um, character qualities more than physical stature or anything, I would say he would be a patient one. I would say he would be a kind one. I would say he would be a loving teammate. I would say he would be a disciplined athlete. And all those things that you see in the fruit of the spirit, those make for a pretty doggone good player when you embody those attributes. Um, but at the same time, you can see uh, from Luke 2.52, Watching that text of 18 years of his life from age 12 to age 30, he continued to increase in wisdom and in yeah, stature, yeah. in favor with God and favor with people. So he grew in all facets of his life. Didn't stay baby Jesus in a manger. No, he worked physically. I mean, carpentry is not an easy job in that right, there, right. there are no skill saws. There are no electric tools. You had to work it with your arms. And so he would have developed physically as a man as well. So all those things coupled with those heart attitudes of the fruit of the spirit, he would have been a, a tremendous teammate and a, and a worthy competitor. Oh, no doubt. And I uh, couldn't agree more with that. Uh, Roger Light, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I found you on a Facebook page where it talks about mm -hmm. being a character coach. What is a FCA character coach? It's kind of... Um, a little more secularized language from what a team chaplain would be or someone who is a mentor to the young people on that team and to the coaching staff. A character coach really serves to be the presence of Christ in a sports team, in a club, in a, a set of people like that, uh, by caring for the parts of the player that often coaches overlook, and that is the spiritual part of the player. Uh, or if we look at it in very secularized terms, the, the value system, what do they care about most deeply? Because that both informs the character of the person, how they respond in certain situations, but also gives them a sense of purpose and identity beyond just the performance as a player. Um, often it's that part that goes uncoached by the coaching staff. And that's when a lot of those character issues pop up. That's also when, a lot of the uh, loss of identity happens at, at the point of an injury or at the point of retirement. And suddenly, who am I if I'm not a basketball player anymore? Who am I if I'm not a football player? Uh, that part of them is dead as a hammer now because they can't perform. So who are you otherwise? And that's where we get to inform that as character coaches. 
And I love the word character. I mean, it means so much, whether integrity, honesty, those are all parts of it. But uh, again, Roger Leip, FCA character coach, joining us uh, a few years ago, several years ago now, I actually got to meet the uh, chaplain for the New York Yankees. And so I said, mm-hmm. when do people from a pref- professional sports come to you and say, hey, I need some Jesus if they didn't grow up with it? And he said yeah. three reasons. Typically, if they get injured, if their contract mm-hmm. is up, or mm-hmm. if someone gets pregnant. And I just thought that was so uh, notable that he would say those things. But he said that it's not the character that brings them, but it's that hardship that can lead to the need for character of yeah. what are they going to do after. Can you just speak to that? Why is it that some people come to Jesus in crisis when Jesus is there the entire time? Yeah, it's often the the people talk about time being chronos where it just keeps going on a straight line, but there are Kairos moments that suddenly everything's interrupted and you go, Oh, wait. And crisis is one of those things that does that to us. Sometimes it's opportunity, but often it's crisis. Something is broken, whether it's my arm or, you know, a tendon or something in an injury, those things stop the regular flow of time. But also that happens with retirement. Um, Every season, there are people that they get right to the end of their careers and they don't even see it coming. But suddenly you used to be a basketball player or you used to be a football player or right now in this season, when which we're talking, there are coaches all over the country getting fired because their team didn't win enough or some other situation. And so they also deal with a a moment of crisis of uh, who am I now? And so it's those kind of things that stop the regular flow of things that make us pay attention. And suddenly they have a need that is greater than their resistance. Um, That's the way one of my friends uh, has spoken about it for years, that the Lord is working in people's lives to make their need become greater than their resistance. Often the resistance is high because the need is low. But in moments of crisis, need goes up, resistance come down. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Roger Leip uh, makes the time and sharing with us. I uh, found this website very interesting, uh, nationsofcoaches.com. I want to bring that up as well. Just share a little bit about this website and why people should log on and uh, just check it out. Yeah, Nations of Coaches is a ministry to the world of college basketball, men's college basketball. Uh, I left FCA after 27 years because these guys said, hey, would you come work with us? and work just inside college basketball to develop character coaching. And so within men's college basketball, we have well over 100 men who are serving, and one woman, who are serving college basketball teams, the coaching staff, the players, the support staff, by trying to coach their hearts. And uh, almost every one of them are volunteers. Like I'm a volunteer here at our university, uh, serving with our basketball team, because coaches know there's something about them that is not going to be covered just by technique or by strategy. There's, yeah. there's a heart dimension to the player that they're ill-equipped often to, to serve. And so they'll welcome somebody like us in to come uh, kind of complement what the staff is doing otherwise. And that's what Nations of Coaches does. And I've had opportunity to meet uh, Coach Adam Hooker. He's at uh, Sterling College in Kansas, an AIA mm-hmm. school. Great connection, actually, through a friend, Ian Cunningham, who studied the Kenny Anderson Showcase, and I got to meet mm. Kenny Anderson. Long story short, Adam says at Sterling, how it's a Christian school. 
And he said a lot of places are uh, Christ-centered, but their president says they want to be Christ-led. Could you just mm. share how important is it that Christians are following Jesus? They don't just feel like, hey, I'm going to heaven, so everything's going to be okay. But the importance of actually putting their faith into practice. So whether it is practice or whether it is a game, they're exhibiting the highest integrity and character. Yeah. Uh, as I talk with sports people and we talk about matters of faith, it's easy to, to hear the word faith and think of it in a passive sense. But genuine faith is not passive. Actually, it is an active trust. I trust God. Therefore, I'm going to act this way. And so that's where I, I always talk in those terms with sports people because they're not passive at all. You know, they're quite <laughs> aggressive usually. And so I talk with them in terms of, look, this faith that we talk about is an active trust. I trust, therefore, I'm going to act. And so that's where it engages uh, sports people really well. It, they go, got it. Because I trust my teammate, I'm going to make this switch in a, in a, in a basketball defense. I trust my teammate, I'll make the switch. Right, I trust right. my teammate. I'm going to set a pick. He's going to get a great jump shot. Something like that where they, they get it. They can feel it because that's the world they live in is active trust. And um, that's a great way to see the word faith. Yeah, and I think that transcends sports because I know being a pastor, being a coach, that sometimes there's players or there's individuals that say, well, that's a pastor or you're in leadership or you are a coach or you're the best player or you're the captain of the team. Can you just talk and maybe you talk more about it on your uh, blog, sportchaplainsportmentor.blogspot.com, sportchaplainsportmentor.blogspot.com. How this is not just for the athlete or the coach, but this is for everyone. This is principles that we all can apply to our lives. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the blog, I began writing um, back in 07 about matters of faith and sport, trying to help them come together. Lots of us, uh, may, we may read pastors or whatever, and we're, we're reading about that. And But often those things were not applied directly to sport. And so that's what I began in that blog. Hmm. But again, faith is a matter of active trust, whether it's in your life as an accountant. It's like, um, I trust God, therefore I'm going to act this way in my business or in my family. or Because we all have to make judgments. We all have to make decisions based on facts. And sometimes it's God says, do you trust me enough to make this move? So it's whether it's a career decision, it's something or it's dealing with matters of family. Sometimes these things, we they're not nailed down very tightly. We have to trust and act. And so um, that happens in everyday life sort of matters as well. And Roger, again, Roger Light, making some time. And I just want to ask uh, maybe a challenging question. I probably should have given you a heads Please. up before. But Sorry. I just know with everything that going on the last couple of years with social injustice and racism, mm -hmm. sports has always been, for me, a really safe place where if you can play – then you can play and nobody really says anything or cares. What is it about sport where it, it really doesn't matter, I guess, depending where you are. My experience is it doesn't matter as long as you can participate in a sport. It doesn't matter your background, color of your skin, any of those factors. Yeah. Um, mostly, for the most part, um, sport is a meritocracy. If you can play, you can play. We don't care anything else about you because the scoreboard doesn't have colors on it. It's black and white. It's very simple. And so often performance uh, 
mutes a lot of those other issues just because, um, okay, that guy is Asian. I don't care. He can shoot the ball. This guy is black. I don't care. He makes, he plays great defense. This guy is Irish. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, he talks funny, but okay. But we don't care because what it comes down to is more a matter of, do I trust you? Do we have a relationship? Can we work mm -hmm. together? That stuff mutes so many of the extraneous factors because it comes down to, are you a good teammate? How do you, how do we work together? Um, sport does that by uh, simplifying the process to the activity and um, trying to achieve something. And most of society is that way. Usually at its best is, are we working together to accomplish a goal? Then a lot of the other factors mute themselves. Well, I love what you just said there about do we trust one another? And your definition of faith earlier was active mm -hmm. trust. And it just all goes together in the importance of Christians growing in their faith. Um, going back, and I guess in the Christian world, we call it discipleship. But as you mm -hmm. mentioned, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. What if some people get stagnant in their faith? Is it like in your physical life? You just feel like, oh, my metabolism is not as fast or as high <laughs> as it used to be. Well, why is that sometimes or maybe most times? Yeah. I think some people just get bored and, and uh, there's nothing stimulating them to, to continue to grow. And that's where the matter of trust, matter of having teammates, uh, being in the church. If I'm around people who stimulate me to grow, I, I love this uh, text from Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Uh, or the King James says, provoke. It's a very active, yeah. strong verb. It's, it's a very aggressive verb. Uh, but it's not just to get provoked. The point is to provoke toward love and good deeds. And so it's a conscious thought about how do I find a way to provoke my friend to be at his best. We do that in sport all the time. What we ought to be is just as proactive about that in our matters of faith. Um, I disciple a number of student athletes, and it's fun to kind of provoke them along to, hey, let's read this. Hey, let's let's do this. Let's. I'm taking a young man today to go do a talk with a high school basketball team. This guy was the best high school player in our area last year. Now he's at the university and growing, and I get to provoke him a little bit about reading different parts of the Bible than he's ever read about uh, now about sharing his faith out loud in front of young men, just like him. Those things help provoke us along. And that's so good. And I'm actually reading a book by Tamara Andrus now. It's called Always Becoming. And she said when she was younger, the thought of having a shrink or a psychologist mm -hmm. or a counselor, it always had negative connotations. And maybe yeah. I grew up the same way. I'm 46. And just that timeline, that's what we thought. But now I have more and more friends in vocational ministry with like a side hustle, a side gig of being a life coach. And I just yeah. think, well, how, how do I get into that? But why is it so necessary, whatever the age, that we do have a coach? And I would say that a coach is greater than a cheerleader. Sometimes For sure. I only want sure. a cheerleader, but uh, God's saying I need coaches in my life. But why is that so important? I've talked to some individuals. They say, well, I'm just self-motivated. It's me between me and God anyway. Mm -hmm. But I would suggest that we all need coaches. Could you just speak to that? Absolutely. Um, one part of Jesus development back at Luke 252 was social development. That's part of it. Where it's not me and Jesus. We have a good thing going. No, it's more than that. It's he 
when all the New Testament epistles, except for about three or four, were written to groups. They're not written to individuals. They're written to groups, which is the church. And so all those personal pronouns where he says you, he means you plural. And so it's in the context of that kind of growth that happens, that growth happens. I have a mentor who's now 80 plus years old. Uh, I've known him since uh, 30 some odd years. Uh, that guy still provokes me. He still coaches me along. When I have big decisions to make, I'll go hang out with him for a couple of hours. Hmm. I may never ask the direct question about what I should do, but I always come away knowing exactly what to do because right. he coaches my heart to care about the right things. I'm doing some life coaching with a young man who's a businessman in the area. And I just keep asking him, who do you want to be? What has the Lord built you to do? What's most important to you? And help those things shape the way he goes about his business. And it's perfect because it's helping him become, as you said, always becoming. We're never finished. Right. Uh, right. We continue to grow and develop, hopefully, throughout our lifetimes until we die. And then we become most complete. But here's the thing. Uh, we're constantly in development. And um, we can do that rather passively. And it kind of falls on us or we can do it very intentionally and become uh, much better. Okay, Roger, a uh, couple of specific questions. Roger Leip, uh, make some time at nationsofcoaches.com. Also, mm -hmm. sportchaplainsportmentor.blogspot.com. That's sportchaplainsportmentor.blogspot.com. Uh, the question simply is, sometimes we need to allow God to demolish and rebuild our foundation because at times we think we're making progress, but we default to what came naturally or whatever happened to us in the past, whether it's addiction, abuse, some of those specifics. Mm -hmm. For those that are being coached and they go back, whether it's shooting form, hitting technique, to something that they did not learn correctly in high school or even younger, when does that cycle break? How do you break that? that grounding, whether nature versus nurture of things mm -hmm. that seem embedded in people's personal lives that were well beyond their adult years or well before their adult years. Yeah. I think from a coaching standpoint, if, if we're in relationship with that person, that's, you know, experiencing the brokenness uh, let's back up. Let's ask good questions. Let's talk about what's the core of this. What's the cause that's, it's in a sense being radical means to go back to the root of the thing. Let's yeah, figure out what's yeah. at the core of this. Let's re let's rebuild from there. Um, I remember back in about 2000 reading one of these books up here, Leonard Sweet's book, uh, Soul Tsunami yes, and yes. Leonard's writing about postmodernism and how it's shaping the way that people think in this era. And I'm, I'm thinking I grew up in a very modernist society of, child am a boomer right in the middle of it and i'm going if i don't change the way i think and communicate i'll be a dinosaur in 10 years hmm. I, I won't be able to communicate with anybody younger than me and so i had to shift the way i think so it, for me it was a radical process of pulling back of stopping thinking always only in black or white issues but shades of gray can i think about both and rather than either or propositional thought how do I reshape the way I think? And it's really served me well, but it was a painful process to think, no, the way I think now, as much as I may think this is the right way to think, doesn't matter. The people that I want to communicate with don't think that way. So I can either speak a foreign language and never be understood, or I can enculturate. 
And uh, sure enough, that has been a great help to me. So I'd say that's the model. Let's pull back to where where's the root of this thing and what is it about me that needs to change so that I can make progress? Oh, that's excellent advice. It's funny. I was talking to somebody the other day, a big basketball fan, and we were talking about Syracuse and UVM, Mm -hmm. the University of Vermont. And so my friend that's a UVM fan, which I am too, but he went back to, I think it's what, 16, 17 years ago when Vermont beat Syracuse. And my Syracuse Mm -hmm. friend said, well, that's great, but what have you done for me lately? And I think sometimes (laughs) in the Christian life, we we think the same way. Uh, (laughs) It's so important that we get... Um, get to the point where we understand that we have a need, but there are those available to us from God to help us grow. I just want to speak a little bit more. Nationsofcoaches.com. Here's the website Please. again. If there's local coaches, and we have some D3 programs, smaller schools as yeah. well, uh, how would coaches get involved with nationsofcoaches.com? That's brilliant. Right there on that spot where it says coaches, there's a pull down menu that where you can get more information about what we do with coaches. And again, our primary mission is to serve those coaches because we found over the years, they're incredibly influential with players, obviously all those that are within their team, but residually then around them, around the university, around the community, they have tremendous influence that's really good unless they're total knotheads. And sometimes we, we need somebody to influence the influential. And that's who we want to be is having, making, seeing the Lord make a difference in those coaches' lives. So they can go there, see the pull down menu, ask for information, connect with one of our um, regional directors, or they could even in that find a way, contact me directly. And I'd be thrilled to chat with them about ways we can add value to their coaching staff and their program. Wonderful. Roger, let's talk a little bit personal. Are you married, children? What does your family life look like now? And I ask because my son, he would be a sophomore in college, but he decided not to go back to school. He's just living in Michigan, working full time. My daughter's a senior in high school, but she opted for the early college program. So she got her first semester of school for $1,800. And she said, she's like, dad, that's a lot of money. And I'm like, I know because you're paying on your own, but it really isn't. (laughs) So for us, we're getting ready to be empty nesters. And as Mm -hmm. a pastor, uh, my wife works full time at a children's center, a nonprofit. We're just trying to always give back. And I'm just trying to glean now what you have done. What can I learn from you, uh, from your home life, from your family structure? Funny. uh, My wife and I have been married 46 years. Uh, We got married when we were very young. And uh, we had our son at age 21. And so um, I grew up with him. Uh, he was a huge baby. And so we have one. And, uh, but now he's 44 uh, and he has a wife and two daughters. And so we are grandparents loving the empty nest life. We love it. Uh, it's just a different season of life. And so it's awesome. But then all of a sudden we're grandparents and that's the greatest gig ever to have grandchildren. Uh, I was very much like your son. I went one year to a university and, and our junior college, I got bored and quit and went to work. Hmm. And so all the, whatever education I have gathered has been gathered very informally as opposed to formal education, more the angle your daughter is taking. But the Lord's purposes are greater even than our mistakes or our missteps or our hmm. circuitous paths. He's going to fulfill his purposes in us if we're willing to go along with him. And so that's what I've found here is over the years, uh, as different seasons of life have happened, 
making wise choices, choosing friends, those kind of things really helped me shape my own life, my son's life, our family, those kind of things. And then once we became empty nesters, we go, hey, there's there are new opportunities here. What shall we do? And then as grandparents, now, what's the best thing to do? How do we best live our life in a way that has the greatest impact here as, as grandparents? It's an awesome thing. Roger, a question for you. And as a local church pastor, and I, I mean, I've served in several nonprofits, uh, parachurch organizations, mm-hmm. ministries. But after COVID, it's been difficult to assemble and to gather again, whether it's state laws, mandates, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. But I have heard some people say, well, Jeff, I am now involved in this parachurch or this nonprofit. So gathering together as a body of Christ in a local church, it is not for me. Hmm. What would you what would you share with that individual? I would say the local church is it is the Lord's idea. And all of those New Testament epistles are written to local churches. In many cases, they would have been like he's writing to the church at Colossae which would have been dispersed in home churches all over the place. So these small groups are where we can really find fellowship that really is uh, more than my cause, more than my niche of sports ministry. No, I need folks about me who can't spell sport. I, they, they don't care about that. <laughs> they don't care about basketball. Uh, but that's where we have a, a, a greater uh, sense of wholeness and uh, community because it's broader than our little niche if you will. Uh, Young people need elderly people around them, vice versa. Uh, We need young families around just so we have models for how does that, how does a young family work? I may want to be one of those someday. Or some of those young families, like people in your case are looking around going, how do you do this empty nest thing? Well, those guys (laughs) across the aisle over there at church, they, they get it. I can hang with them. So we have a greater sense of wholeness of what the body of Christ looks like in a small church, in any kind of church, than we do in our niche parachurches because they tend to be narrowly associated, whereas the church is much more broadly associated associated and gives us a more complete picture of the body of Christ. Oh, very well said. And thank you, Roger, for uh, just sharing that. Again, Roger Leip, we'll have all of this in uh, in the show notes on the podcast, Living Hope Wesleyan on Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes. Just go to uh, Living Hope Wesleyan. But nationsofcoaches.com, uh, sportchaplainsportmentor.blogspot.com. And on Twitter, you can follow Roger Saluki Chaplain right there. But Roger, as we uh, let you go, just a couple of fun questions, hopefully. Yeah. Are you still a fan of professional sports? I'm less of a fan than I am um, associated with individuals. So I don't really follow teams as much as I watch my friends who happen to be in professional sport because uh, some of them have come through our university. Others of them are coaches that I've met over the years at coaching events or this, that, or the other. So I tend to watch my fan, my friends who are in sport uh, more than I am just a fan of the thing itself. I had an opportunity to interview Jason Romano now with Sports Spe- mm-hmm. uh, Sports Spectrum and great guy. And I just said, you know, for me, and I guess maybe from Vermont, because we don't put out professional athletes, I still get a little <laughs> shell-shocked or, uh, you know, that celebrity gaze over my yeah. eyes. But uh, he just said, Jeff, you have to realize those guys, they just put their pants on the same way as you do. And yeah. they just have a greater responsibility because if a celebrity, per se, 
professes to be a Christian, and then the spotlight is constantly on them. Can you just share how people like myself, if a professional athlete makes a profession of faith, to pray for them, but not to put them on that pedestal? Yeah. Um, the, the thing about the pedestal is the higher it gets, the more precarious the fall from it becomes. Hmm. Um, having known some of those guys who have done really well, and then they'll do one foolish thing and suddenly they fall into the bottom. We dis, we serve them poorly when we do that. Uh, rather, the thing to do is to pray for them, to ask the Lord to carry them along, to, in a sense, guard them from foolish things because there are pressures they have to deal with. We can't even imagine uh, the, the things around them. Often the money that happens in professional sport doesn't serve them in any way. Rather, it imprisons them in some ways. Uh, the sad fact is if NFL players within five years of their career ending, for whatever reason, 75% of those young men are divorced or bankrupt or both. It's just the wow. fact that that, right thrust of fame and money and all that serves them badly and often uh, imprisons them. And so pray for them that uh, one, that they can keep their faith alive, pray that they connect with the people like sports chaplains, the character coaches on their clubs um, who often have a very low profile and are usually serving best when they have a very low profile, but they're there to serve those guys and to nurture their faith along. Uh, so pray for them in that regard that, the fame and the money won't ruin them. Rather, it will um, almost be a non-factor, but that it yeah. uh, their faith continues to grow. And that's where the character comes from, right? So it's not based exactly. on money or status, but it's just a character deep inside. Hey, so I think you can see my Boston Red Sox. You mentioned baseball. Ah, so I'll finish yeah. with this uh, question. The Boston Red Sox, uh, I laugh because people still here in New England talk about how the New York Yankees have all the money. They still try to buy championships. And I'm like, sometimes we need to look in the mirror. But when you see the rivalry sometimes, or it has been between Boston and New York, it seems as though the fan bases really don't care who else wins as long as they beat New yeah, York or we beat Boston. Exactly. What? Why do we in sport kind of get so uh, – so focused just on our own likes that we kind of miss the big picture of what's taking place across the leagues or professional sports in, in general. Yeah. I think in fandom, it's just, you take uh, human nature and run it to its end. It's like the, the, the drive to compare is so strong in people that it, it really seldom serves any of us very well because the, the comparisons are usually bogus and, but in fandom, it just becomes easy because they become the boogeyman. They become the one that we hate and that lets us love even our flawed heroes better, you know? And so it just to be able to pit one against the other is part of human nature. And uh, it's not the best part of human nature, but it's part of it. And so I think that's what fandom drives on is the comparison of us versus them. And it, they, there's some sense of security of we like our team. And those guys are doing it wrong. And uh, so I think it's some of the, frankly, the, the lower part of human nature that um, is less noble than if what I prefer is I love those guys. Jesus way would be to say, yeah, he says, love your enemy. But look, that's an opponent. That's not an enemy. Right. No, right. that's an opponent. And unless you have an opponent, all you can have is practice. 
right? So if you want to have a game, you need an opponent. Uh, And so Jesus' way would be to love your opponent and love the officials, love the umpires, love the, yeah, that's the Lord's way. So we elevate sport when we take it from an us versus them. We're the good guys. You're the bad guys. You're the enemy. No, let's love our opponents. Let's play the game. Let's each strive together to be at our best. That's when sports at its best. Well, that's and I did not hear personally because I was not at Fenway Park because I could not afford the tickets. As I mentioned, I'm a pastor <laughs> uh, by trade. But hearing about the fans at Fenway Park when Houston was there booing them when their own bench had Alex Cora, it just was comical at best. Oh, but, yeah. yeah, the yeah the irony is so thick you can cut it with a knife. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, often it's just that lowest thing of we love our gays, we hate you. We're happy just to be in, in not thinking about my home life. That's part of what fandom's about. Oh, for sure. Again, Roger Leip, uh on Twitter. It's at Saluki Chaplin, at Saluki Chaplin. You can find it there. Uh, we'll have everything else in the show notes at um, Living Hope Wesley on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts. But, Roger, thank you so much. If you would, I would just ask that you pray for us here in Vermont, whether it's Glenn Olson and uh, Melissa Crossman as they lead FCA here mm-hmm. in this great state of Vermont, or our very own local church as we try to bridge that gap between we, the Christians, versus we're the ones created by God trying to love our opponents, mm-hmm. trying to love one another. Exactly. Would you just be so kind to pray for us here? I would be thrilled. Father, thank you for Jeff, for the community there uh, in which he's serving the, the church, the Wesleyan church. Thank you for hearkening all the way back to the 1700s and John Wesley being such a pioneer uh, to walk into new environments and love people. May we be that way, whether we're serving in the local church as Jeff is with uh, our friends at FCA, walking into the sporting community and loving well and serving well. May we each and all be that uh, as we are salt and light in your um, world here. May we be that strong uh, an influence. Thank you for uh, our chat today. Thank you for the podcast listeners. Thank you for everyone uh, hearing our voices today. May we please um, love in an extravagant way and serve in a selfless way and thereby really make a deep impact. We pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen. Roger, thank you so much. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. My great pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. And again, that was Roger Light. Uh, you can find more information about him at uh, Twitter, Saluki Chaplin. Also, nationsofcoaches.com, nationsofcoaches.com, and sportchaplainsportmentor.blogspot.com. That's sportchaplainsportmentor.blogspot.com. My name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church. We love you because we want to be like Jesus. And so he was for people, so so are we. Thanks, everybody.